Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. I'm looking at a bright purple shirt across the desk for me. I'm looking at Mr. Andrew Decker. It's a Friday and I didn't have court. Yes, it's a casual Friday. But I did have my annual physical. And I am crossing my fingers that all went well. As far as I know. You know, the blood work takes a couple of days to get well, back. There's a number of other Andrew Andrews that are criminal defense attorneys, so we can easily fill either of our spots. I don't appreciate the way that sounds. Just saying. It's not a threat. It's a promise. Uh, but today is going to be oh. the Philip and Veronica show. Yeah. They were and classmates really of mine in law school. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, did they get better grades than you? Probably. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we have Veronica Bell and Philip Hall. Uh, and, and today, you know, I'm really excited about this, uh, about our topic today, because these are, I think, probably some of the best attorneys in the state of Texas that are using what we call psychodrama in trial. And so we're going to talk a little bit about like what that is, where they learned it, their experiences, and just, you know, get to know these two great. That's not a telenovela psychodrama. It, it probably is. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what there, I think. You know, with, with some of the stories that these trial lawyers have, I'm sure they could both write, you know, true crime books. Oh, yeah. You and I uh, could, too. We and it'd be like together. the Lincoln lawyer, you know, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be like a page turner. So, all right. Phil and Veronica, hey, how are y'all? Hi. Hey, guys. Show. So Thank start, you. tell yes. us a little bit about who you are, where you went to law school. I know the answer. Um, and how y'all got into criminal uh, defense. Uh. I am Veronica Vile. I am from Plano, Texas originally. Went to law school out at Wesleyan, which became AM with Andrew. Uh, I probably didn't make better grades than you, Andrew, but uh, I always had a passion for doing courtroom litigation. And just that's kind of how I wanted to get into the practice of law is by doing criminal law. So I did a lot of the internships and externships uh, through Tarrant County DA's office and some of the bar, um, defense bar, um, it, just while before I was licensed and then got licensed and kind of jumped right in. So I went to undergrad at Tennessee, but no one really cares about that because it's not the University of Texas at Austin. So. Oh, we, we care more it's about the Tennessee other orange. than, yeah, <laughs> I, oh, at good. least I do. Every time I say that, I always get a little bit of pushback from, oh, you didn't go to the real UT. I'm like, yeah, okay. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm getting an eye. I'm, I'm eye rolling right now. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm an, I'm an Aggie. And uh, yeah. So, um, so you hear so, where Phil's from because he loves to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So, All right. Phil, Phil, tell us about you. I, uh, I grew up in California, but I got here as quick as I could. I uh, grew up in Redonda Beach and then um, spent some years in, in Orange County, California, went to UCLA for undergrad and then came to Texas because the economy was tanking around 2010 when I graduated and applied to Wesleyan and SMU, got waitlisted at SMU and then ended up going to Wesleyan, which I absolutely loved. Um, it was a very hands-on approach. Andrew, I think you can, Andrew and Veronica, y'all can confirm that. Um, and then AM bought us. So, you know, our clients don't really care where we went to law school. They just want to know uh, what we're capable of doing in the courtroom and outside the courtroom. But um, yeah, so we graduated from AM and Veronica and I um, started dating when we started studying for the bar exam together. So we, Veronica has her own firm. I just made partner at the firm that I'm at. 
and uh, Veronica and I do team up on cases uh, from time to time. Uh, she's my she's my secret weapon when it comes to trials. She's your secret secret weapon in life, Phil. Sorry. Right, it's true. And y'all are and y'all are married now. We are now married with uh, a two year old baby girl and another kid on the way due in August. Would not recommend. Would not recommend starting your relationship uh, studying for the bar in law school. But <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess hey, you guys you survived that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, That's true. Right. Like, it, this relationship cannot get any worse than these few months of just total stress <laughs> and anxiety. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You can handle, you two can handle anything. And, and, you know, speaking of handling anything, you guys, like Phil said, you guys have teamed up on some really serious trials and come out on top. Um, and, and I really want to talk about like, you know, Phil said, Veronica is your secret, your secret weapon. Um, we initially reached out to Phil, uh, and he was like, no, you've got to have Veronica on. She, she really like heads up um, you know, the trial strategy and, and all that kind of stuff. So briefly, you know, I, I think like y'all's experience in the trial lawyers college has, you know, it's something that we've talked about and I think it's really contributed a lot to your practice. So just kind of like a brief intro, what, what is the, what is the trial lawyers college? What sessions did y'all attend? Cause I, I know y'all attended different, uh, parts of the school, right? Yeah. Right. Just- it was the same. Well, it's it, things have kind of changed with that um, the entity in general since Phil and I went out there. But Phil did the full three week course, um, which integrated both civil and criminal trial litigation, basically plaintiffs' work and people who represent those accused of crimes. And I did the ten day defense of the damned, actually run by and led by uh, Greg Westfall, who's also an alumni of the college. And that was, like I said, 10 days, but intensive just on the criminal component and not any civil litigation. So to give you a little bit of overview for those that are listening that don't know the trial college, there are several trial colleges across the U.S. And there's uh, um, there's one in, in Texas, also the Tim Evans a Criminal Trial College, which I highly encourage anybody practicing in Texas, go and attend. Um, it is different than the one that we're speaking of, but I highly recommend doing all of these trainings. The one we're talking about, um, when I went 2015, uh, it was out in Wyoming and, uh, Jerry Spence is a famous trial lawyer who's written many books about winning your case and success in the courtroom. Uh, he put together a program for attorneys who represent people and not corporations or governments, uh, in trying to help the attorney discover their client's story. So what you do when you, what, what I did when I went out there for the three week course, um, we go to this ranch, there's no cell phone service and there's no internet and there's no TV. Um, and we basically start at seven 30 in the morning and go till about nine o'clock at night. Now, granted, we, we do have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and there's a little bit of a break, but basically we do that for a solid three weeks, the entire three week period. We do have a, we have a total of three days off. I think after being there for like a week, week and a half, you get one day off. And then near the end of the program, you have two days off. You have like a Saturday and Sunday. But other than that, you were doing nothing but working on trial skills. Um, and it was a it was a pretty life changing experience. I was calling Veronica while I was out there. You have to kind of climb this little mini mountain or huge hill to try to get any remote service to to call family back home. And 
I was, I remember calling her and Veronica can probably shed some light on that. And she was like, what the hell is going on out there? What are you doing out there? <laughs> You're learning about Ward Iyer. He had tears in his eyes. I was like, why are you, you sound like you've been crying. Is, are, is pollen just bad? Like what's happening? Been cutting onions. Well, it, it, it sounds, it, you start and you're like, there's no cell phone service, no TV, no breaks. And all I hear is no work and no TV and no beer makes Jack a dull boy. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like the yeah. beginning of the shining. It's not good, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah a, I was yeah. thinking it sounds more like, you know, the, the rehab programs that we send our clients to sometimes. It, it, it kind of felt like one now. Um, it well, was the first, the first like 48 hours. It's like an adjustment period of like, yeah. Crap. Like I can't just like mindlessly scroll on my phone or make a phone call or check on the office or, you know, if you could, you had to literally climb a mountain just to see. And, you know, a couple days in, it was actually nice um, yeah. to, to just say, okay, I literally can't do this. So, and then I think with Phil, he got, you know, maybe two weeks in was two to two and a half weeks and was kind of not the breaking point, but just like the, okay it's been long enough. I need to be back in civilization. So, yeah. Right. But, but, but to answer your question, um, really, if, if I were to put it, like explain it as, as, as short as possible, it's really just about becoming your true self and becoming vulnerable in front of these juries and discovering your client's story and sharing your client's story with the jury. That that is really what it all boils down to. There's no manipulation. There's no lying. There's no exaggeration. There's just literally discovering your client's story and sharing that story with the jury. Um, and I I think it, it took me a, a long time to realize that you know I, I, before I was an attorney, I, I we went to school. You know we've gone to school for so long. You get your bachelor's degree and then you, you graduate and you're like I'm going to go to law school and I want to you know. For me, I was like, I want to be an attorney that's known to be in the courtroom. Like, I don't want to be. And there's no offense to transactional lawyers. I just that was just not my thing. I didn't want to be sitting behind a desk pushing paper or drafting motions all day. I wanted to be in the courtroom going to trial and and, and handling, you know, high stakes cases. Um, and and so I, I had this image of like, you know, what what a, a trial lawyer might do or what they might look like. And uh, after going to this college, it's, you know, that the, the, there are many different styles and it's just about finding who you are as a person and being genuine and being true to yourself yeah. um, because it really is about credibility in the court. Well, and that, that is uh, that's so true. You know, I found like one of the biggest challenges as a defense attorney is that everybody, I think a lot of like the, the, the general population has an idea of what a criminal defense attorney is. And it's not really that great of an opinion uh, of our profession. And so the challenge don't eyeball me when you say that saying, man. <laughs> so the challenge for me has been like, stop projecting like that Facebook side of me and actually just be a real person, you know, boil it down to like something that the general public can understand and relate to. And that, I don't know, that's, um, you know, it, at least for me, like it's a very carefully crafted image that I project onto the world. And it's really scary to to put that aside and find something authentic, you know, to. Uh, and I, yeah, yeah, I think a lot of what that the trial lawyers college, the concept in general is, is just that I feel like and this isn't like an attack on any particular school or course or professor, but I feel like at first 
doing criminal defense, like you said, there's this stigma, but then also this mentality of like, okay, what legal strategies, what legal theories, what law can I use or present that basically keeps evidence out, right? Because it's it feels like it's like we're trying to just protect our clients from being found guilty, right? When in fact, this this perspective and this approach is about like, no, I mean, you, you know, you may have done this. We don't like this fact. This is a bad fact, but we're going to lose our integrity with the jury if we don't address this issue. Um, for instance, like I tried a murder case back in um, end of January, beginning of February in Johnson County, which as I'm sure most people know is a terrible county for the defense to just have a fighting chance. But yeah. my client was accused of stabbing someone outside of a bar. Uh, and he was on felony probation uh, at the time. Yeah. Well, Phil took the wind out of the sails of that little. Sorry. Yeah. But he was <laughs> felony, felony DWI probation. Right. And the attorney that I was trying it with, very, very great attorney. You guys know him. And we just had to have this this conversation about do we expose this? Um, because we probably could have kept it out, maybe. Um, but I, you know, we, we were talking about it. It's just like, no, like the jury needs to know this. This is what's going on. You know, my, it was a self-defense argument. So, you know, we weren't saying he didn't do it, but it's just like a, here you go, guys, here's the facts. And I felt like it built, uh, a level of trust with the jury for, uh, for us to just put it all out there. And, And it allowed them to see, okay, they're not hiding anything from us. They've embraced the suck in their case, but we still are able to see past it and see what it is that they are saying or arguing for. And it was able to allow our client to not feel like he had to walk on eggshells to not talk about something, right? It was almost like this release for him on the stand to just like get it all out there. And it that I feel like that concept is terrifying to a lot of attorneys to think, oh my God, all of these terrible things are going to come in. But most of the time, as we've found in, in prepping these types of cases, which I would never recommend applying psychodrama without doing the prep work for it ahead of time to kind of understand where your client's story is going. But a lot of times in doing the prep work for these cases, there's always some mitigating factor it may not mean your clients you know not guilty of the crime but it's like a oh wow okay i kind of understand why the client did what he did whether that you know is justified or not so yeah that's kind of my thought and approach on it well so uh when i hear what you're telling us veronica i think about those cases where we put on the story, our client story. We let that information come out knowing there's still a good chance they're going to be found guilty. But what we're doing often is we may be trying to fight for the not guilty, but because we've won that trust, that mitigating piece, that feeling of, okay, we understand their story. We understand why they did it. We understand. And the jury may not be able to get past the law, but then they become much more gracious when it comes to punishment. Yeah. And, you know, and, concept, and sometimes that's a huge win. Yeah. Cause the whole concept of this and 
as it pertains to juries, not so much judges, but even judges sometimes, is to build your tribe. And the concept of doing that is everyone, in every, it may not be in a ton of ways, but in some way, everyone can connect to anyone else, right? And so the prosecution oftentimes makes it sound like our client is a monster or this or that, or just, you know, so separated from these members of our community who are law-abiding citizens and show up for jury duty. But by identifying pieces of our clients' lives that are relatable and able to be connected with, with jurors, for instance, uh, mental health problems or people who have felt like they've had to protect someone else in their life um, or just anything like that. Um, it, it causes them to feel a level of empathy for your client. And like you said, it may not mean that they can legally get past finding someone guilty or not guilty, but it, but it certainly gives them a level of, well, I'm not going to throw away the key on this person. And sometimes, and oftentimes that's really all a client who knows that they're up against bad facts can ask for is to feel like they've been heard and to feel like their story has been presented and fought for before a jury. And so, and, you, and you know what? I, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Phil. The other thing I, I want to add to to this is like your client really feels like you're taking the time, and, and it's because we are, but they really feel like they're being heard. They feel like someone cares about them, despite the outcome of the case. I mean, I I I, I have lost cases and client got a 30 year sentence, you know, um, I have, I have lost, I, of course I've lost cases and, and I've had clients, you know, that were out on bond judge holds the bond insufficient immediately. They go, you know, they walk to the, to the back and the holdover. And I had clients look at me and say, thank you for believing in me and thank you for fighting for me. And that just, I feel, I feel worse hearing that, you know, than if he had been, if the client had yeah. been like, set with me about me messing something up. Um, it, this stuff is really powerful. And this process allows you to kind of unravel the layers or the emotional truth of the case. Um, and, and the college, I will tell you, uh, will encourage you to, to, to have the courage to do things that you may not otherwise consider doing in trial. I've done some kind of crazy shit in trial. And I don't know if I'm allowed to start if I'm allowed to say that or not. That's okay. I had an aggravated kidnapping a couple of years ago and um, Veronica came to watch in the audience. I think probably the, the gallery was uh, entertained because our client to you way. I came to supervise. Yeah. Um, our client took the stand and there's, there's surveillance cameras, you know, as our client is, you know, of, of what looked really bad. And then we discovered a story and found out, okay, this is actually not what happened. This looks bad. But now that I understand the full story, um, it certainly sheds an entirely different perspective as to what happened. Um, but he took the stand and uh, I got him off the stand and we did a reenactment and we created the backseat of a car. And he and I are literally like recreating, obviously I kept my pants on the, the courtroom, but we're recreating having sex with one another. And I was showing exactly what was happening um, while this alleged assault had been taking place. And it was, it was a 30 minute, not guilty. Um, I, I, I didn't get an objection from the prosecution. I think they were looking at me like I was a complete idiot. Like what the hell is going on and what is Philip doing right now? Um, but it, I mean, 
the, the, the whole process of psychodrama is discovering your client's story and sharing that story with the jury. And I like to do a lot of reenactments in the courtroom. I like to move around. And, um, and that I think it's really powerful for juries to be able to see that rather than hear what happened. And, and so we've, we've kind of, um, I, I think, uh, have been describing psychodrama throughout, throughout the episode um, and, and kind of hearing just, anecdotally how you guys use it is that is that the main i mean you know we talk about like lowering our defenses and and having more empathy really working with our clients on on finding their story you know how do you use like what is psychodrama specifically if we haven't already defined it and then how do you go about using that in trial is it just through these demonstrations that phil's talking about i mean what what are we really talking about so, so psychodrama is like, so we don't actually, we as the attorneys don't do psychodrama that. So we, when we prepare these cases, we have an actual psychodramatist come up um, and work with us, work with our client, work with the people who we call them auxiliaries that come in and fill the roles of these, these people or, or these objects or whatever it is that's relevant in the case that we're looking at. And it's just really the constant. So when I say, when we say psychodrama, we are discovering our client's story and through the use of psychodramatic techniques. And so for instance, I mean, it's, it would be more, a more lengthy conversation to really go into the depths of all of it. But for instance, there's concepts like doubling, right? Where you have a protagonist, oftentimes your client, who is the one that we are discovering the, the story, whatever that may be. And it may not be the actual guilt or, or, or not guilt of uh, like the crutch of the case. It may just be this client when he was eight years old and there was a pivotal moment in his life that sort of changed how the course of his life turned from there on out, right? So whatever it is that we are reenacting, the client may be saying, well, I, I saw my mom and, you know, she yelled at me or something like that. Right. And so we may say, what are you thinking in that moment? Uh, and we, we put our client back in the shoes to speak in the present tense. And, you know, how do you respond to your mom? What are you saying to your mom? And for instance, the act of doubling would be, let's say the client says, I told her to stop yelling at me. Right. And a double would then come in and say maybe what this person or this protagonist is not saying, but is thinking, right? And the concept is to develop that further to get the emotion out of what is really going on, right? Because a lot of times we we may say things or we may perceive things that people say, but it's not the heart of the emotional truth. It's just kind of what people say, right? Yeah. But if the undertone was, mom, you've always let me down and I can't trust you or believe you. Well, then that kind of takes us in a different path as to where, our, you know, whatever's going on. So put it, put, uh, try if it's a, it's a difficult concept to explain, but to try to put it as simple as possible for those that have no idea what, what we're talking about, what this is, we hire a licensed therapist. Okay. And that licensed therapist is qualified to deal with any potential mental breakdowns or whatever potentially could occur during these sessions. Yeah. And the way that we do it is um, my partner has an office, uh, not the office that I'm uh, using right now, but we have an office on Berry street near TCU and it's a wide open space. 
And so we will invite a group of lawyers and people to come down and obviously the client. Um, and I have done this for other, I, I, other attorneys have hired me and I have put on basically, it's like a focus group, but not a focus group in the sense that you're thinking of. We bring the, we bring this licensed therapist and what we do is we discover bits and pieces of the client's life and what was happening during that time period of the client's life. And so what Veronica was just describing were certain techniques or tools that we have available as a resource for us to be able to help discover our client's story and discover the emotional truth of a particular situation. And so we may be asking to actually see like, you know, take us to the first time that you met your wife. Where are we at? What does this look like? Where are you guys going? What are you doing? Show us. Find somebody in this room that resembles or looks like your wife. Okay. Exchange places. Put yourself in your wife's shoes or stand over there. Okay. You are now your wife, you know, uh, client's wife, please describe client for us. How do you feel about, you know, it, it's about trying to discover your client's perspective as the attorney and you're gaining all sorts of insight into witnesses, players involved, or the client's story. And it's just, you, you just have such a, there's such a wealth of knowledge that you can obtain from using this process that by the time you go to trial, we know witnesses' motivations, the lies, the fights that have happened that have occurred, um, the witnesses' biases, and you're never going to gain any of this stuff from reading a police report. You're just, you know, police detectives are there to collect information and say this is what is being alleged, this is what the witnesses are saying, and that's it. Um, are y'all doing this on every case that goes to trial? Every felony case, we every single felony case that I have, and and yes, that that's gotcha. yes. And uh, like I said, I've had other attorneys uh, reach out. And so, um, you know, my, my, I am available for hire. Um, we have helped other attorneys uh, who have reached out and asked for help. Um, and in fact, uh, I've had I've had courts appoint me um, and I'm not holding myself out to be a mitigation expert by any means. But I have had courts um, appoint me and pay my fee to put on a full day psychodrama session for the client and basically allow the attorney to come participate. And, and I just tell them, Hey, you kind of just let me run this and let me kind of show you and help you discover your client's story to help you gain some insight into your client's story. And those, those two of the cases were capital murder cases. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Well, That's awesome. Yeah. We will have a, uh, we'll put it on the show notes too. But we'll have an opportunity for you to kind of let us know how to get in contact with you here. Well, and Phil sent us <clears throat> the uh, link to the trial college. We'll make sure that's in the show notes as Absolutely. well. I'll never find the link again. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. Show notes is kind of an ongoing struggle with, uh, with Decker. So, um, you know, there has to have been a point in time in your practice where like you didn't do this, you didn't go through this process. So, you know, like besides being a lot more, prepared for trial and all this like what is the overall how has this notion of psychodrama using psychodrama in your trials changed your practice and your approach to these cases honestly it's made it a lot harder for me yeah. um when I say harder I don't mean harder to get a certain result I mean and and I was just talking to Phil about this case I've got coming up and potentially a week and a half of it's a loser of a case, you know, and it's just one of those where I feel 
like I want to just protect this person and you know it, it just one it's a lot more work um, than just reading your case file getting your motions ready you know showing up going through procedure and evidence right I mean it you have to be able to invest yourself in your client and his or her well-being, which, you know, not that people don't do that normally, but it's like you get to know this person's upbringing, right? And like, sometimes you learn that your client never stood a chance based on, yeah. you know, abuse that they may have suffered as a kid or something like that, right? And so it honestly has made, it's made it incredibly rewarding, but it has also made it that much more difficult to um, to to deal with the losses, I should say. Yeah, I mean, does it? Do you find that it makes you know you're learning your your client's backstory like in a very intimate way? Does that emotional connection? I mean, like, is that something that you struggle with? You know, as an attorney. Okay. We, we did one a work group. It wasn't, for, uh, it was for a colleague of Phil and mine uh, on a, on a case. It was a, like a sexual assault case or some form of that. And, you know, something that just struck a chord with me as we were working with this, this individual is, you know, his upbringing, like he was, the kid was only like, is only like 25 years old or 23 years old, something like that. But, you know, it was, we had revisited a scene um, and developed the story of when he was younger and the relationship he had with his dad and with his siblings, uh, with his whole family. And just seeing how that impacted him and his perspective on life and how he handles things and why he ended up you know, going to the military and what he ended up doing at that point it made me sit here and think, holy shit, I need to go home and like tell my daughter all of these words of affirmation and all of these other things, because I don't want her to develop these same thoughts or feelings. Right. So it just, the connection is just real. Um, and, and I think that that's what it is, is psychodrama or the use of psychodrama in the courtroom. The, the antithesis of that is being detached from your case which I feel like for our mental health and wellness as defense attorneys, sometimes we have to do that. We have to close the door, lock the door to our office, walk away and realize this is not my life that I'm living, right? My client's struggles and my client's problems, I cannot carry them with me all the time for my own mental health and wellness. But this practice and doing that doesn't allow for it. It's constantly on my mind. Um, yeah. So yeah. The, the losses are hard. Uh, losing hurts, you know, um, because you've gotten to know the family, you've gotten to know the client's story. And when you really believe in a case and you really believe that your client is not guilty. And let me tell you, no, I'm not one of those defense attorneys who believe all of my clients are innocent. OK, but you really dive deep into the case and you really start to see issues. And then you try to bring these issues before the jury and you're, you know, and people listening to this and Andrew and you guys, you guys know that the courts sometimes cut you off yeah. at the past. You cannot bring that information before a jury. And it's like, oh, it's so frustrating. Um, but it has allowed this process has allowed me to be a lot more, you know, uh, empathetic. And um, it certainly has you know, like Veronica has just described. It has every time we do one of these, it, it, it's, it is a form of therapy for us because it you know, it, we're connecting with the client and then we're starting, we're reminded of things potentially in our own life that might have occurred um, that we take with us. And it's like, oh, I forgot I went through that. I forgot about this. I forgot about that. 
or it may say, you know, may say, wow, like this, this kid's really going through a lot. I, I have a lot to be grateful for. I should be, you know, I should count my blessings, you know? And so I always, I always personally take something away every time I do one of these sessions. Um, and Veronica and I like to travel a lot. And this, this, that is a reason we like to travel is because we just have to get away. Um, it, it is a lot of stress. And I know anybody listening who does criminal defense carries that stress with them. You, you have to be able to decompress and get away and enjoy life and then come back, obviously refreshed and ready to get right back after it. You know, cause um, like my partner, Francisco says, you know, take all the attaboys because you got an ass whooping coming around the corner. And I, I know that that is very real. That is very real. So true. So the best place, the, the, the next question we really have for y'all is how, where do we go to learn it? Where do we go to find it? Is it primarily just go to the trial college that y'all have recommended? I think so. you need a, a fundamental basis. Like there's some things we talked about, like doubling or mirroring or, you know, soliloquy, things like that, that, you know, it's more of like an educational thing just to get the idea of how it works. But um, yes, ultimately I would say go to one of these courses, either the three week one, the 10 day one, they do regionals throughout the country, but on a smaller scale and something that involves less of a financial and, and personal commitment away from your personal life. Uh, Phil and I have these work groups. Um, we try and do them once a month. Uh, and there's another attorney in Dallas named Patrick McLean, who, I mean, literally is traveling the world. It seems like every other week for cases, he does a lot of military um, representation as well. So there's a lot of different um, jurisdictions that he's in and out of, but he hosts a ton of work groups as well. And so I would say just you know, reach out to one of us and we will let you know the next time that we have a work group and just come and observe. I mean, I think people feel like if, if they go to these things and they have to just understand how all of it works, uh, and that's not it at all. We've had people that have come to observe and have maybe said, uh, you know, a handful of things, but it's more of just making yourself vulnerable and allowing yourself one swearing to confidentiality as to what you hear um, about other people in that meeting, but also just allowing yourself to be vulnerable and connect and look for that connection or look for a way that this has, you know, th that you, the individual can bring a unique perspective to this client. And it may not be solving the case, right? It's not about, well, I think you should file a motion to suppress and then you won't have this issue, right? It's more about, I connected with you because of your story involving your dad. And I went through a similar story as well because of X, Y, and Z. And so that's really the biggest way. And that feedback that we get from whether they're attorneys or not, that feedback is so valuable because you realize how connected, interconnected we all really are and how an issue that may not have been an issue that the attorney is really focused on could actually be a bigger issue that needs to be addressed with the jury because of the feedback these people who are seeing this story unfold, uh, how it impacts them. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's, it, it is. It is very cool. It's uh, uh, very intriguing. I'm definitely going to hit you guys up for the, for the next session. I know Phil has invited me in the past. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, man, that's a Saturday, you know, but you know, it's not well, like, and you're antisocial. I don't, I don't like fun. <laughs> and, um, right. Yeah. But I, I, I am very intrigued. I'm, I'm very interested in, uh, in learning what you guys know. 
They're also, it is a program sponsored by the Texas Criminal Defense Lawyers Association uh, called Roundtop. And it usually takes place in October and it's just a weekend deal. Um, I know some people listening might be thinking three weeks is a long time. I can't cut my practice. I can't leave for three weeks. I'm telling you, if you make the commitment, it, it will be life changing. And I'm so glad I went early on in my career um, because, I, you know, three weeks is a long time. It, I will just say it is a long time. It may be very difficult to get away. But if you really commit yourself to doing it, I I think the the, the rewards that you will you will, you will gain from this learning this process and being there are going to be more than tenfold. But if you cannot do that, if you not cannot commit to a three week course, Texas Criminal Defense Lawyers Association does a kind of a weekend crash course of psychodrama, um, which is called Round Top, and it usually takes place uh, the beginning of October. So you got. Trialers College, you have TCDLA's Roundtop, and then you have us. If you just want to see what the process is, feel free to reach out, and I invite you guys to come down and come be part of the process. So there, there are multiple ways of getting involved or at least seeing or learning about the process. Very cool. Very cool. It, see, it's proof that they probably did make better grades than I did in law school. Absolutely. Right. I definitely did not. I can assure you that. Um, <laughs> so, so, guys, uh, with every one of our interviews, we like – we like to know the story behind the person, right? We're more than just our, our attorneyship, which is what we've been talking about for our clients. And one of the ways we pull back that veil a little bit is we ask just some very simple uh, get to know you questions uh, that we ask everybody. So first, and this is going to be a different answer for both of you uh, briefly, who's your favorite band or musical artist? For me, it's Deftones. Deftones? The Deftones. Is that the California guy, Redondo Beach, coming out? I mean, it might be. Yeah, he's, you know, there's a there's a rivalry just like, you know, Dallas and Fort Worth. Uh, these guys are from Northern California. They're from Sacramento. Oh. Yes, I like I like heavy metal. Um, I like heavy metal, and I also like rap. I mean, I actually like a lot of genres of music, but um, when I'm in trial mode, if I'm working out, it, a lot of it is I'm listening to heavy metal. That's what I'm listening to on the way to the courthouse. Veronica hates it. So I, I like to, I played sports growing up, so I, yeah, I jam out in the morning. I got the this, you know, the speakers going full volume. And she she absolutely hates it, but I get that's I get ample. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that loud. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I I I actually never know the answer to this question because I don't listen to a ton of music, but I I like Phil and I love Drake. We just bump Drake all the time. But I like Kings of Leon, Taylor Swift, Morgan Wallen, like just kind of every, a little bit of everyone, everything. So no, no set person or band. And just to be clear, Veronica, you also played sports growing up, right? Yeah. I don't know what that comment was, Phil, because I played a lot more sports than you did uh, and listened (laughs) to music, just not at the decimal that you did. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I may know them well enough to know where the sore points are. Um, <laughs> so what's a favorite book or one that you've read that you're like, hey, y'all need to read this? Well, this is this is uh, I mean, probably many people obviously are recommending this book. Um, one that I enjoyed uh, was The Art of Racing in the Rain. Ooh. But one that I would recommend people read um, if you have not already, and I'm sure you've heard of it, is uh, 
How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Yeah. Currently listening to that book on audio, on um, Audible again, but um, that is one that I certainly would recommend listening to and checking out. Well, so he uh, asked which book have you read, not which one have you listened to. Oh, well, Ooh. then I don't have one. I count those because I I I oh. only listen to my books now, so I count oh, I, I count too. Audible. Oh, I do too. Philip says it's not; it doesn't count because I'm not reading a book. I'm like, I still have <laughs> the knowledge. So, okay, so, so if we're, if we're going to get technical like that, I have an app on my phone that is called Headway, and it takes like the key points uh, of something like uh, the the how to win friends and make, you know, influence people. people. Oh. And it gives you like the top six key points in the course of 20 minutes. So, so that I've, re- I've read the book, too. Yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> you like Headway? I, I've got I recently got an advertisement for that. I feel like I feel like I need to really listen to the the, the audiobook or read the book to really kind of grasp everything. But I'm certainly a fan of the bullet points, cliff notes um, deal yeah. as well. Do you enjoy that app? Andrew? I, I do enjoy the app. Um, all it does, because you only get the bullet points, you know, when you listen to it, basically like in a commute, I end up listening to only like two or three minutes each day of the, of the, that one book. But when you start listening to them cumulatively, you start finding those things that repeat, like, are you making a to-do list? Do you have your goals and visions? What is, what do you want in life? And so you start actually kind of picking up the four or five things that you go, these things I'm supposed to be doing. There's a common denominator there. The common denominator. Yeah, Headway yeah. is not a sponsor, but if they would like to be a sponsor. Or Topo Chico. Contact or, us. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, Veronica, sorry, your book that you have read or not read? Uh, listen to, and again, I'm a hundred percent audible. If audible wants to sponsor this too, I would totally. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I am a historic fiction person, uh, just uh, obviously we all know kind of just the heaviness of what we deal with on a day to day. So I personally like to detach from the, you know, the reality and kind of go back. But I enjoy like World War II historic fictions. Anyways, that's kind of where a lot of my books come from. But one that I read recently uh, or listened to recently is called Before We Were Yours. Um, That Mm. one. I can give a synopsis of it, but it's a historic fiction based on a real orphanage uh, in Tennessee, where basically, um, this is obviously before the day and age of computers and technology, but these um, this, this woman and, and some of her um, employees would go down to really poor regions uh, of the South and basically go to the hospital when these women are having these babies and say, hey, look, we'll cover all your medical bills, just sign these documents. And they didn't realize they were signing over their rights to their children. And what the orphanage was doing was basically profiting off of um, these these babies to wealthy families that didn't, you know, couldn't have or didn't have children and basically Mm -hmm. selling them to um, these wealthy families. And so it follows these, I think there are four siblings, I believe, and it's kind of a dual narrative, which I also appreciate. But um, yeah, like that actually happened. And that is mind blowing to me to think about my newborn being taken from me and then never like some of these people just never knew what happened to their kids. And Ugh. so, yeah, anyways, but just that, that that was a, a really good, good book to me. Yeah, I imagine like a book like that would probably also fire you up to like fight the, the government, you know, like while you're reading it. Yeah, too. yeah. <laughs> just a reminder and also world war ii stuff i'm sure y'all know enough about that but just it's a reminder of like the world 
has so many messed up things about it. And like so many things that are just glossed over of like, Oh, this happened, but we're just going to like kind of keep moving forward. Yeah. It's sad. Yep. Yep. So last question, Andy, you want to ask it? Sure. Yeah. What's the, uh, like, what's the best piece of advice, um, you've ever been given or, or one that you just kind of find yourself passing along to others consistently? one that I'm actively living and my, I got this from my partner. I'll give a shout out to Francisco Hernandez. Um, it, it, it took me a long time to process this, but my favorite thing, because it's true is do you want to be right? Or do you want to get your way? Pick one, but you can't have both. Yeah. Um, I find myself saying that to clients a lot. Um, and uh, sometimes Veronica has to remind me and tell me that um, at time, from time to time also. And it carries over in negotiations, having that mindset. Like, do you want to be right or do you want to get your way? Like, do you want to, do you want to get a reduced charge? Do you want to get a, you want to negotiate a, 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 a lesser charge from like a sexual assault of a child to injury a child, but you're upset that the guy has to plead guilty. Like, do you want to be right? Then go to trial and see what happens. You know, it's, it's, Ooh, yeah. but you can't have both. But that, that, that would be probably my, at least as the past several years, it'd be, yeah. Do you want to be right or do you want to get your way? Pick one, but you can't have both. And I think yeah. that applies many different um, aspects of life. Certainly. I thought yours was going to be live, laugh, love, Phil. Um, <laughs> it used to be. Yeah. Or everything happens for a reason, right? I don't really, I mean, yeah, I really like Fran told Phil that Phil told that to me. And so, yeah, I, I see that on a daily, I say it to some of my clients too. I'm like, look, if you want this, let's go for it. But one of the things I, I don't know where it really came from, but I've just started saying it to, to Ivy, our daughters, just every night before she goes to bed, she kind of gets a little bit of like, I don't want to be by myself. And that takes her a minute to settle down, to go to sleep. And I always, I'm like, what do we say? And she says, be brave. And so I know that that's, Kind of just a stupid thing in general, but I feel like I need that reminder sometimes too, when it's like, you know, it, it's tough to face these, these challenges in personal life, but in, in our professions as well, like to, to say, all right, I'm going to go into battle. I'm going to do the best that I can. And I think sometimes just having that reminder to like, you know, be brave and just do this shit, you know, cause if yeah. you don't do it, then what happens, you know? The other thing, the other one briefly, just relating to people who deal with anxiety and stuff like that is don't borrow worry because that that kind of is the definition of anxiety is just borrowed worry. And I kind of have to remind myself of that sometimes of like, am I just, am I anxious because of something that hasn't yet happened yet that I may have no control over? Or is this actually something that I can change, you know, and then kind of go yeah. from there. I love that. Yeah, very, very cool. So, guys, um, if one of our listeners needs to reach you, how would they find you? How would they get a hold of you? Yeah, website. Veronica, we'll let you go first. No personal cell phones. <laughs> okay, I was going to say Snapchat. No, I'm kidding. Um, I don't have a Snapchat. Uh, they can just email me. They can email Veronica at fortworthtriallawyer.com, uh, or they can call or text the office mobile which is 817-948-6717. Um, and yeah. Cool. For me, uh, you're welcome to look me up on Google, Philip Hall, Philip with two L's, H-A-L-L -L is my last name. I'm in Fort Worth. I'm in downtown Fort Worth. Um, you can also contact me via email. It's just 
philip p-h-i-l-l-i-p at texas spelled out mexico spelled out law.com philip at texas mexico law.com and i'm more than happy to to share any information or advice if anybody's curious um, i have no ego when it comes to about sharing my information many people have led the way for me and have shared their their knowledge upon me and i'm, I'm happy to uh, pass that forward and and i hope you know attorneys who are interested do reach out to us um, because we welcome you to uh, learning about this process and we hope that you would consider uh, going to the trial lawyers college or at least you know gaining some insight and joining us uh, in, in this unique style of preparing cases very cool wonderful well guys thanks so much for being on the show it was well i we actually see each other in court on a very regular basis yeah. and we talk on a fairly regular basis uh but this has been fun it's been fun kind of uh getting a glimpse into some of the cool stuff you do uh so on behalf of andrew harris i'm andrew decker and on behalf of andrew decker i'm andrew harris we'll see y'all next time thanks guys have a good one